All right, well, we've been talking and thinking about Christianity and its relationship to the arts, what they are, how we think about the arts as a Christian people, what questions we should be asking, the kinds of things that we should be thinking as we consider all of it critically. Now, we have looked at some uh, various things the last couple of weeks, some of it that we have seen and said, I don't really understand it. I don't really uh, quite get what this means necessarily. Some of it we've looked at and said that is obviously intended to uh, to communicate something very different than what we assume art should communicate uh, if we are thinking about it um, uh, Christianly. As we talked about those uh, three very important things that I, I prayed about, those three very important things that Christians uh, throughout uh, the history of the church have always thought about, which is that which is good and true and beautiful. And as we've talked about visual art especially, we've sort of focused in on that question of the beautiful uh, and also how the beautiful is in relationship to what is good and true. Now next Sunday, Lord willing, we are going to spend more time trying to define that word, beauty. What is that? And is it, as we talked about the first day, one of the questions that was brought up, is beauty simply in the eye of the beholder or is there something more to it. And so we're going to look at that next time. Um, but this morning, I want to continue the discussion that we began last week, thinking more about the church's relationship very specifically to the arts. Now, I want to take this back before the first century of the church and really think about this beginning in the Old Testament. We see the arts all throughout the Old Testament. In every form of art that you can think of, they are described to us. And, uh, and one of the things that we see coming out of that is a response, a reaction that we got from especially the uh, Old Testament prophets and their, re- their response to how the arts were being utilized uh, amongst the people of God. And then we see sort of a resurgence of a similar response Uh, during the Reformation, and yet I would argue that in large part the response of the Reformation uh, went further, and I believe not helpfully so. Uh, This is the one one of very few times you'll hear me be critical of anything that happened during the Reformation, but I think it went a bit too far in response to what were the abuses that they saw taking place in the church at the time with relationship to the arts. But the Old Testament prophets had a lot to say about this, and we're going to think about it in three different ways that they were responding. And these are all isms. You know, we always have to deal with isms whenever we talk about anything. Uh, But we're going to talk about externalism, ritualism, and uh, formalism. So what are those? Externalism. What does that sound like? If you think of that in relationship to our worship and our interaction with culture, what is externalism? Yes, good. Very, just like it sounds. It's in relationship to everything that's going on outside of us. Right? So uh, every, every interaction that we have is some, in some way is external to us, and so externalism is uh, the conversations that we have with regard to everything outside of us. Good. Formalism? What's formalism? 
Any ideas? Wow, excellent. Chris Marley from the back row. Say that again. Yeah, good. Structure, I like that. that. We're dealing with forms, right? The form. What are the forms that are utilized to express this, uh, this art in whatever it is, whether it's visual or it's music or it's, it's theater or whatever it is, uh, literature? What are the forms involved? Okay, and ritualism. That one sh- should be pretty easy. What's, what do you think ritualism is? What's that? Yes, good. Performing the ritual. What are the rituals involved with the relationship one has with these forms that are external? So you see how they're all fitting together. We have the ritual taking place, and it's in some way related to these forms that are external to us. And so you see the three of these playing together. So for the Old Testament uh, prophets, the problem wasn't that there were forms and rituals that were external. That wasn't a problem. Why would you say, just on the basis of how we've loosely defined these things, that those things in and of themselves were not a problem for the Old Testament prophets? Forms, rituals, externals. Why were those not a problem for the prophets? Good. Yeah, these were things that were given by God. They were commanded by God. They were instituted by God. Yeah, Yeah, good. As God designed them, he designed them with a specific purpose. There was a reason behind each of these. So what was the problem that the prophets had with these three things that we have outlined? Yeah, good. That they became distorted, right? that they became problematic because they were either being added to or taken away from or distorted in such a way that they were not what God intended them to be. So, for example, we'll think about a, a New Testament example. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord gave us a formula, if you will, in how to pray. Now, how is it that we should think about the Lord's Prayer? As Christians, what should our minds be set on as we pray the Lord's Prayer? Okay, the Lord, yes. Okay. Yeah, so the content of the prayer is very important, and, and part of the, the part of that that we... Uh, can often forget about, and I want to ask why we often forget about it, is, is the Lord that we're praying to. So we think about what is going on in this prayer. I'm asking um, for forgiveness. I'm asking for daily provision. I'm asking for the right kind of heart toward others. All these things we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, but often in that we forget about the Lord Himself. Why is that? Yes, exactly. Because it's something that we have uh, memorized and that we've probably recited before, unfortunately is used oftentimes in, uh, in cultural ways that are sort of just ways to bring people together in the same way that a national anthem or a pledge of allegiance would do. And so it sort of loses this reality of what it is to pray to the Lord himself. 
And so something like the Lord's Prayer, while a Christian and while wanting to pray this prayer in a meaningful way, can very much become ritualistic in a problematic way. We have the form that's been communicated to us by the Lord Jesus, and we engage in the ritual, and neither one of those in and of themselves are bad or wrong, but how we approach them is the same question that the Bible asks about how we approach anything else. What is the main concern of Scripture with relationship to how we approach anything in the world? It's how we think about it, how we relate to it in terms of our orientation of our heart, right? How are we orienting ourselves toward this thing or toward this person or toward this activity? Right, so this was a problem for the prophets. What do we read all throughout the major and minor prophets in terms of how people, how the people of God were engaging in worship? What, was the, what were the problems that were taking place? Yeah, okay, that's one. They had other gods that they were adopting from other surrounding communities. What else? Yes, they were making their own idols, right? Carved images out of all kinds of things, wood and stone or whatever else. They had all kinds. Yeah, good. So they were very much what we're talking about, engaged in ritualism without any kind of heart attachment to the Lord in that. Tyler? Yeah, good. I did what I was supposed to do. Now God should do what he's supposed to do. And, and it's just a tit-for-tat mindset. Yeah. Good. I'm going to do my works. It's faithless. Um, I'm just trying to work it out in hopes that the Lord will be pleased with it so that I will get what I can get from him. Or I look, I look good. You know, there's all these external, it's externalism again, these external reasons as to why I want to do this. So that you see it and applaud me so that I appear to be righteous so that maybe the Lord only really does look on the outside and he'll be pleased, whatever it is. So we see all of these problems, right? We could name a whole lot of things we see all throughout the Old Covenant with regard to the problems that the Old Testament prophets were addressing in the worship, in the interaction of the people of God uh, with God in the various forms and rituals and externals. Now, what was the cure to these things according to the prophets? What's the cure that we just need to throw it all out? That we just need to get rid of all of it? No more rituals, no more forms, no more externals. We just need to uh, engage the heart with the word and nothing else matters. Was that the response of the Old Testament prophets? No, it's not. <laughs> it's certainly not. But reform, they wanted to reform and to continue to associate the words that God has given us to the sign in which it was intended to um, and the sign and, and what it was intended to communicate. And we see these things all throughout the Old Testament. We see visual cues that were given for worship. We, we see that uh, we read about sounds and songs that were given. We see forms of festivals and sacraments. All of these things are rituals or forms 
And they are all externals. They've always been a part of the story. The Bible is never disjointed, is never divorced from the idea of forms and rituals and externals. God himself has done this, not just in the church and not just in our, our, uh, our act of corporate worship, but even in the natural world. So, for example, the Lord <coughs> called on uh, our our good friend Noah to build an ark. He sent the flood. The flood was here. Forty days went away. Then Noah did what? What happened? Other than getting drunk in that whole terrible affair, uh, what else happened in that moment? Yeah, he built an altar to worship, and what did God do? And Yes, he a covenant, but he... Oh, there we go. Put a beautiful rainbow in the sky to communicate something, right? What was he communicating? Yes. My promise in this covenant is that I will never destroy the earth by flood again. Right? So what are the forms that we see in that instance? There's an ark, there's water, there is an altar, there is a bow in the sky. All of these communicate something. Could Noah and his descendants have easily turned to the ark and turned that into something that it was never intended to be? Absolutely. That could have become in and of itself, this ark is our savior. It saved us from the flood, right? Uh, The altar... The Bible has a lot to say about things that were being offered on an altar, right? Uh, It wasn't always good, was it? And so that could have been utilized in the wrong way. The water communicates something, not only of God's judgment, but of of, uh, it's it's a baptism of the earth of sorts. And so there's something there in the the sacramental nature of the water. Uh, The rainbow, this beautiful picture that we get to see often especially here in South Georgia at certain times of the year, we get to this great reminder of God's promise. Now, things can go wrong with all of that, right? The rainbow itself, if you, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, the, the, the video, the guy, the double rainbow in the sky, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, you younger crowd, know what I'm talking about. This guy was out in the mountains, I don't know where he was, Wyoming, Utah, something, and he... I think he was on mushrooms, I'll just say that. But <clears throat> there was a big rainbow in the sky, and he was very excited about it. But then all of a sudden, a double rainbow appeared, and he's on his video camera, and he's shaking, and he's just speechless. Whoa! <laughs> and uh, it became this viral video. It's fantastic. If you've never seen it, you need to check it out. But what he is amazed by this, however, none of it for him is connected to what that is to communicate, which is something of God's promise to his people, an everlasting covenant, not just with the people of God, but with all of humanity. This is a promise of God to all of humanity. So we see there is a disconnectedness that often takes place in our relationship to the externals. 
And this is why, though, the prophets didn't get rid of everything, because God ordained them. And also, I will say this, and and we'll spend some time thinking about this. Even if the prophets wanted to be disconnected from all of the forms and all the rituals and all the externals, it's not possible. It's not possible. You can't do that. There is no escape from art. There is no escape from externals. There is no escape from literature. There is no escape. If we are to be faithful Christians, especially there is no escape. Because corporate worship has to take place, and in corporate worship there are specific forms and rituals and externals that we must take into consideration. And whether you know it or not, you take all of those things into consideration. You took all of those things into consideration when you decided to become a member of this church. There are a lot of artistic expressions that take place here that helped you determine whether or not you thought we were being faithful to what the Scriptures teach. And maybe you've never thought about it in those terms. So let's think about some of these different forms. What do you think about this building up here on this picture? What does that communicate to you? If I just showed you, I didn't tell you what it was, where it was, anything, what do you think when you look at that? What is that? What's that? Papism, okay. Maybe you think that is a Roman Catholic uh, uh, edifice. Yeah, Tyler. When can we move in? Yes. That would be a beautiful home, right? All of us, there's probably enough rooms, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this beautiful architecture, it seems quite majestic, doesn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's enchanting. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it seems kind of like something that you picture in your mind from a fairy tale. Yeah, it has this very Renaissance, medieval-type feel to it. This is a, a, a Renaissance-era uh, church building, right? And probably most people are going to look at that and determine that it's probably at least was at some point some kind of gathering place for worshipers, all right? We'll say that in the most basic terms, right? Uh, it looks like... A church, right? What are, yeah, okay, so what are some of those externals that we look to? Stained glass windows, what else? Steeple, right? What do these things communicate? Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, if you, uh, a lot of these, especially these old buildings, if you uh, are over the top of them, they're in the shape of a cross, right? Okay, so, uh, what about something like this? What do you think about that one? Is it a Bruce Wayne? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little different, isn't it? Maybe, maybe uh, in some ways it might look something like a church. But in other ways, maybe we look at it and say, I don't know, maybe it's a museum. Maybe it's a mausoleum, a mausoleum right? That's what he said, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it could be all kinds of different. Maybe it's a bank. We need more banks in Rinkin, so maybe we could get that one here. <laughs> banks and auto parts stores. We don't have enough in Rinkin. Um, advanced auto, yeah. However, it is a beautiful structure, is it not? 
I mean, I don't know about you, but if, uh, if we inherited that structure as a church, I would want to move in tomorrow. I think it's pretty cool. Um, a bathhouse. Well, interesting thought. <laughs> but what? there's something being communicated here, right? Is there anything, uh, is there anything off-putting about this structure? The thing on top? That's, uh, I believe, a bell tower. Yep, clocks, and so it probably rings on the every 30 minutes. And Sure. Good. Those are great points. If you, if you start to think about um, architecture and uh, how various forms of architecture change throughout the periods of history, there is something to this that communicates something of a time when all homage was being paid to uh, the Greek pantheon. And this is very much a part of that. And so um, the roundedness of the structure is uh, very much communicating to that. The columns, the kinds of columns uh, that are on the building. So as you study things like architecture, you see that more and more. But by and large, all in all, you look at this, and at least I think there's some agreement that we would see this and say, that is an interesting um, and maybe beautiful piece of architecture. It is artistic in nature. It seems functional. Uh, there's a usefulness to it, and that too is a church. Now, what about this one? What does this communicate to us? Okay, a grocery store went out of business. Auto parts store, yeah. It doesn't look like a church. Interesting. Consumerism, yeah, I think so. Trendy, yeah. Yeah, trampoline park or Planet Fitness, right? Good, so are we seeing something here? Now, all three of these buildings are church buildings, right? But do they communicate something different to us from the outset? Right, if you just, if you want to judge these churches by their cover, if you will, and you think of the first one versus this one, what are some of the differences that you're going to assume about worship and everything else from the get-go? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, you're going to, you assume that you're going to have probably in one, you're going to walk in, there's going to be pews and an elevated pulpit and um, and the other one's going to have a stage with bright lights and fog machines and all that. Ass- assuming, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have, uh, I will say it this way, because we'll talk about that in a minute, you'll have more defined forms of ritual that are identifiable. Yeah. Yeah, good. One, one you assume has uh, a pretty significant history because of what Russ was saying in terms of the ideas of permanence. Yeah, Trish. Good. Very, a very casual versus something that seems more formal. Good. Yeah, you're, not, you're, you're most likely not going to find a pipe organ uh, attached to the walls there, right? Yeah. Yeah, good. And that's one of the reasons I chose this specific one, because it does have a very contemporary sort of old warehouse-y look with a big parking lot and all the lights and stuff. And yet, they have done something in terms of the external design to at least communicate, this isn't your local Kroger. Uh, we have tried to... 
uh, reclaim some space. We're trying to utilize what's available in our community, all of these things. So at the end of the day, we have to recognize um, as the church, the primary concern of the church is not where we gather, but that we do gather Uh, that we don't have to uh, spend enormous amounts of money on building permanent structures. However, I will say in terms of movement, in terms of thinking about the church, there is a significant move away from the idea of building permanent structures that look like churches, a move toward building less permanent structures, reclaiming old structures, and an attempt to create something that is less um, uh, maybe uh, to some maybe intimidating or less formal in nature that it is a a bit of a more casual uh, approach to it. So that when you come here, uh, you're not expected to know anything about how you should dress or what you should uh, know in terms of the Bible itself or what it communicates or, or how we do our ritual, whatever else. Just, uh, just come. It's sort of the, uh, as is often said, the come-as-you-are mentality about the church. Now, I don't assume that either one of these churches has a mentality of before you come, you have to know these things and have these things in order and all of this. But one communicates that differently than the other. There's assumptions that we make based on what we see in the external forms right off the bat, right? Church architecture is something that communicates a great deal. So uh, think about all of the things that, that go on within a building where corporate worship has to take place. Look at something like this. What is that intended to communicate? Okay. Yes. That you step into something like this, and all of a sudden you're very small in this very grand, opulent place. Now, there's a lot of conversations that could be had around all of the various things going on there. But, just at its base level, there is something being communicated about what you're supposed to, uh, what this is supposed to conjure up within a person, right? Just naturally as we take it in. What, uh, why, are the, why are the ceilings of most churches uh, that are built to be churches, why are they pitched roofs or very high ceilings? What is that supposed to do? Yeah. The idea is that our attention is being drawn upward, right? That, we're, uh, that everything's not right here, but it's, it's up there. That our, our, our attention, our focus is upward, right? And then uh, you have... Uh, so think about um, a, lot of, a lot of old uh, older cathedrals and things like that. When you walk in the front doors... It's, uh, it's very dark. They keep their foyer area really dark, and uh, you kind of think, like, well, they just need to change their light bulbs or whatever else. But that's, that's intentional. They want that to be dark, and then you step into the area where people are gathered for corporate worship, and it's very bright. It's a, a lot of light. Uh, the old medieval cathedrals, even on the outside of their buildings, they had ugly gargoyle creatures on the outsides of the buildings as you're walking in, and then it's dark, and then you step into the worship space, and it's full of light. What is being communicated in all of that? 
Yeah, good. You're stepping out of the darkness of the world into the light of the worship of Christ. Now, again, uh, the way that's been done has often been problematic because of the way that these externals have been utilized and the way that the ritual has been built around them. But in and of itself, there is something being communicated that uh, we see all throughout the Old Testament. How, uh, how, was the, how were these kinds of things that we're talking about um, communicated through something like the temple? We see a lot of this in, this, in the structuring of the temple, right? All of the, the, the forms that God commanded in the building of the temple were communicating something very clearly, and the, the vast size of it all communicated something of, of God's grandeur. Uh, the, the, the ritual that was built all around it communicated something of God's order and God's beauty and God's uh, attention to detail, and all of these kinds of things are being communicated there in the church. Now, compare it to something like this. What do you think of that? Okay, that may be, and again, we're just taking first impressions here, but I might look at that and sort of have an idea that I've, I'm here to see some kind of performance or to watch a movie or... Yeah, it's a theater, a concert hall, or something along those lines, right? It seems Man-centered. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in one way, uh, we could look at I think what Sean's saying, both positively and negatively. In one way, to say it's all focused on uh, what's going on on the stage, as opposed to what we saw in the previous one, where our attention is drawn upward. But I think another way maybe to think about that in a positive is that our attention is focused on the receiving of what God is giving to us through his word and through the preaching of the word. Now, one of the challenges that you have to confront as a church, I'll get to you in a sec, Charlie, is in something like this, to say nothing of the particular church or what they're preaching or whatever else, let's just assume that you have a faithful church that's preaching the gospel faithfully, um, and you have all of a sudden, you have 20,000 people showing up to worship. You need to figure out how do we do this in such a way uh, that it's going to be beneficial and that it's going to be, uh, we're going to be able to do what God's called us to do as the church. So there's a lot of questions to take. But this communicates something, doesn't it, Charlie? Yeah. And so you have to solve issues in the midst of all of that, too, and still want to maintain these kinds of... So here's, here's some other... I'll just kind of go through these. Think of something like that setting versus that setting. Right? That probably, I know, at least for me, that looks more like, as Sean said... Um, this is focused on what's going on on the stage. This is more performance-oriented. What are the elements here that just looking at a picture would tell us that this is probably more concerned about the performance? The lights, right? It's dark out here. It's light up there. So that's going to draw our attention to something, right? Uh, we have, um, you know, there, it looks like there's some fog going on and things like that versus what does something like this communicate? You can read your Bible. Okay. 
you have, you're able to, to read words, and, but they have something going on there that we don't even have going on here, which is what? Hemnos, right? And ties and suits, that's right, yes. Yeah, all of those things communicate something, don't they? Pews? All right, what about, what about this versus this? Okay, what's what's going what's what's going on with the pulpit in this picture? The word is being raised high. Okay, so you have an elevated pulpit. It's up high, and the people of God sit down low, and so the word is being preached, and people are literally sitting under the word, as you would often hear. What about what's going on with the pulpit in this picture? It doesn't exist, right? And so here it's uh, it's hey, we're gonna we're just having a conversation, right? As opposed to a proclamation of the word of God, thus saith the Lord from high and lifted up. Now, we're, we're just buddies sitting by the fire having a, having a talk about, in my mind, now this, some would say, maybe not fair, but it's almost, to me, communicating we're having a chat about our buddy Jesus. Right? There's something very different being communicated by all of that. Now, I don't assume to know anyone's... Um, intentions in something like that other than what has been written and communicated about these things. Believe it or not, Christians are really good at arguing about things. This has always been a big discussion. And how do we set all of this up? How do we think about these things? Think of something like this versus this. That's Terry Johnson, Independent Presbyterian Church. So, despite... Despite his wardrobe choices, what, what do we think about that versus that in terms of what's being communicated? Again, neither one of those are what we do. I just wanted to maybe present more extreme differences here. What's the difference? What are, what are we saying about what we're, what we're wearing? Okay, ritualistic here f- for sure. What are, what are they trying to do with that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm, there's, it's not just something that comes up in the everyday flow of life, like I'm preparing myself for a specific occasion, right? And that's a good way to say that. In the same way that I go to a wedding or a funeral um, and I, I prepare myself for that occasion, a job interview, whatever, I'm showing up for this specific occasion. Good. Yeah. Well, what's, what's the idea behind the robe? Why do they wear the robe? Good. So to cover the man in order to focus on the word itself. This was something that the reformers brought about. This was uh, from the Reformation. <laughs> he has a shirt and tie because you can see that, but he's actually wearing his uh, swim trunks underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Josh? Yep. Exactly, and that's, that's exactly what I'm hoping, as we've talked about, thought about these things today, that we're, that we're getting a sense of. That we can have forms, we can have rituals, we can have externals, and the church always has. We're out of time. Um, but in all of that, in all of that, we have extremes that we can fall into, Right? I can be very casual and flippant about the things of God and just sort of make it 
ho-hum, a part of every day in such a way that there's nothing special about the worship of God whatsoever. I don't, even, I don't even think about it in any terms other than it's something I just fit into my daily schedule as if it's like Saturday afternoon. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's go to a movie. Let's go bowling. Let's go to church. Versus uh, something overly external, overly ritualistic, and overly, you know, to where it's like um, you have someone at the front door checking everyone to make sure they are wearing the approved clothing as they walk in, as if that is the indicator of the church's holiness and faithfulness. And so we have extremes, as with anything, and this certainly is one where the church has, uh, has struggled uh, dearly uh, for many, many years in, uh, in these conversations, in these debates. Well, we are out of time. I'm right on time, in fact. So let me pray, and we'll pick up right there next week.